0: Amen, yeah, only God can change a heart, it's the kind of stuff that with man we think it's impossible, how in the world could someone who's been caught in guilt and sin and shame, how could they ever come back in no peace? How could someone who's hardened their heart and said, no, I will not, I will not have any part of that Jesus. How could they ever be changed only by the power of God? How can someone who's been hurt so deeply, who's had their trust betrayed, ever learn to find hope only by the power of God? Amen. The gospel has the power to truly change lives. And for this, God is passionate. He is passionate and intimately involved in our lives to win us and to continue to win us to himself, to draw us to himself. And he is so wise, so powerful, that he will arrange the every event of our life to bring us to that place. And he'll do it over and over again. Your life is not random. Your life is not in your hand. Your life is not in someone else's hands. Your life is not being controlled by someone else. Your life is under the sovereign hand of God. I don't care who you are, follower or not, he is sovereignly working in your life to bring you to himself so that you might know all of who he is. Amen? Amen. There is no random. There is no by chance. There's only the sovereign hand of God and him arranging every moment and detail of your life by purpose and for a reason. Sometimes it's hard to see that. Sometimes you get to looking at life through your own lens and you can't figure out how this part fits with this part with this part and it seems chaotic and in those moments we trust by faith that God is working all things together. That's right. Let me just, let me just read it for you. Romans eight twenty eight. 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But that's not the end of the passage. That's the verse we know mostly. The very next verse goes with it. The very next verse defines what the good is that he's working all things together for, what the good is. The good is not just so that we can be financially prosperous. The good is not just so that we can have a life of ease. The good is not just so that we can have more likes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. That's not what it's about. He says, here's what the good is. For whom he foreknew, knew before you knew, He also predestined, he pre-planned, pre-arranged, pre-sovereignly designed your life, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. God is working to arrange your life, the events of your life, So that he might bring you to the place where you know Jesus Christ, but not just know him to begin, but to know him and be conformed to him. Can you believe that? That the sovereign, wise, holy God would choose us and say, I want to make you like my son, I want to make you in his image. Not physically, but in your heart, in your attitudes, in your desires, in your activities, in how you relate, so that you might look like Jesus. Whew. What a privilege. What a, what a holy, wise design God has put in place. You might think, that's impossible. I can't be changed into the image of Jesus. Well, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God, amen? We embark on a brand new series today. It's a new year, it's a new day, it's a new time. The series is called Change Me. What a great way to start the new year, saying, God, I'm here, and I'm here to be changed by you. There's a lot of stuff I could get involved in at the beginning of a new year. It's great to get into a new diet plan. It's great to get into a new exercise plan. It's great to get into some new spending plans. It's, it's good to set, up, set about some of those plans in your life. But I'm telling you, there is one plan that matters. The plan that transforms you into the very image of Jesus Christ. And God's passionate for it. He's out to do it. And he's arranging your life so that that can happen. Because, you know, it ought to be so that if you could meet yourself, let's say a week goes by and you had a way to go back and meet yourself today, it ought to be that you would meet yourself and say, whoa, a lot's changed in a week. You've lost a few pounds, looking good. Maybe not. But hopefully you'd say, you know what? Man, a week ago... I thought so differently about who Jesus was. I thought so differently about people in my life. I thought so differently about God. And boy, things have changed. It ought to be so that we could know ourselves a year from now and say, wow, you have changed. Sadly, a lot of people kind of go through life. They get stuck in the rut. They get comfortable where they are, and they really don't change all that much. They just stay there. Who they are today, you could meet them a year from now, five years from now, and they are the exact same person. You ever had that experience before? Yeah. yeah. Nobody else, right? Yeah, it happens. It does. Sometimes it happens when you look in the mirror. And you think, "No, yeah, not a lot's changed." I mean, gray hair, yes, all that, but. Not a lot's changed. It ought to be as a follower of Jesus Christ that we are in the process, the ongoing process of change into our life. Change about how we see, how we think, how we relate, what we do. That's what God is about. Our role is to say, God, I willingly put myself in the place for you to change me. Because God does a curious thing in his sovereignty and power. He doesn't come in and just override your life. He could. He doesn't come in and turn you into a robot. He could. But he doesn't. He says, I have a plan for change. I've placed my spirit in those who believe. But now, he does something Curious. He allows us to respond and say, Lord, I submit. Mm. He allows us to choose. We're looking at a passage throughout this whole series, it's John chapter 15, that will help us understand really what this process is all about. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 15 today, the New Testament, the Gospel of John, is chapter 15. Let me give you just a little bit of setting for where we are. Jesus is going to use a metaphor here. A metaphor helps us understand something that we may not understand now by something else that we already understand. We use metaphors and similes and you know word pictures and those kind of things. Maybe you've heard someone say, say, you've asked them, hey, how are you doing today? Well, I'm feeling fine as frog hair. You ever heard anybody say that? It's weird, but people say that stuff, right? As far as I know, frogs don't have hair, but I imagine if they did, it would be very fine. Yeah? Maybe you've heard the version that goes like this, I'm feeling fine as frog hair split four ways. You ever heard that before? No? Am I the only one? I've heard people say that. Yeah, you just don't want to admit you've said it, right? I know. Those are all things that people say. They're metaphors. I guar—I mean, I, I grant it that that's Those are kind of old country sayings. Maybe you've heard another one that says, well, that boy is so little, he's knee-high to a grasshopper, right? You've heard that before. Those are all word pictures, right, to help us understand something we may not understand. So Jesus is going to use a metaphor. He's going to use something that we understand, the disciples understood, to help them understand something they don't quite understand. And Jesus is faithful to do that throughout the Scripture. Scripture gives us lots of great pictures. And when you see a picture, you can know that at that moment, there's a bigger Truth than the picture. The picture is to help you go, oh, I get it. I understand that this means this. So, today, and for this series, we're going to be looking at a word picture that is designed to help us understand something far greater than what we currently understand. All right? So, the setting is near the end of Jesus' life. In fact, very near. The setting is in John 15. If you were to back up in the Gospel of John, you would see that that Jesus has just had the upper room experience with the disciples. Judas has just chosen to walk out of the room to go and betray Jesus. The disciples have had their feet washed by Jesus. They've just taken part in what we know as communion or the Lord's Supper. And they walk out of there and begin their journey from that room to the garden. It was a a journey that they were going to take. And it was late at night, it's dark, and Jesus and the disciples are walking. And what happens in 14 and 15 are some of the very final things that Jesus will communicate to the disciples. So they're pretty important. Jesus isn't telling puns along the way. He's not telling about the latest meme he'd seen. He's talking to them about real life, how to live it. And what he had come for. So it kind of gives some extra weight to the words this morning. I'm going to read these to you, verses 1 through 8. And I'll just tell you ahead of time, we're going to camp out in these eight verses over the next eight weeks. We're going to take it one verse at a time. We're going to chew on it. We're going to get from it what God has for us to get. Let me read the passage. Follow me along, 15 verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. I'd like to challenge you with something over these next eight weeks. It's one verse every week I'll be speaking about. This would be a great time to memorize this passage. It's one verse a week. So, like today, week one, here's the first verse. That would seem pretty easy for us all to be able to memorize, right? So here's the deal. If you will choose on your own to memorize one verse per week, by the end of the series, you're going to have a passage memorized, verses 1 through 8. And you will find it incredibly beneficial to your spiritual life to know and have God's Word here and here as you meditate on it, as you think about it as you play it over and over in your day, as you ask God to help you know what he's trying to say to you through it. So there's a good challenge for us as we start a new year. Memorize this verse. Verse two will be next week. Let's zero in on this verse here and see what Jesus has to say to us. So I'm imagining Jesus is walking with the disciples are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and along the way he's wanting to communicate these truths to them and by his design they come across a, a vineyard perhaps, and there it's something that the disciples all knew very well. There's vines, there are grapes if it's in season, there's rich soil, it's nighttime, so I don't imagine anyone's working, but if it had been daytime, we would have seen workers in this area. They would have been checking for weeds and insects and making sure everything was like the vine dresser wanted it to be. You see, there would have been one who owned the vineyard, one who managed the vineyard, one who wanted to make sure fruit was produced in mass and that it was healthy, that it was good. And this would be the vine dresser. So as they went by, they would have seen this vineyard. Maybe you've seen them around Texas or the area where you drive by and there are these long rows of vines and coming out of the ground is something that looks more like what we here in Texas call branches, right? This passage used to always confuse me because of my Texanese, you know. I know what a branch is and I know what a vine is, you know. When I grew up in Oak Cliff, the branch was what was on a tree and a vine what was, was what grew up and went around the tree branch, right? It's like ivy or something. That's what I thought of. That's why it always confused me. This passage bothered me because I didn't understand it all. Branch and vine, I had it all backwards. Jesus says, let me, let me help you with this. And when you understand the context, the story, the illustration of what's happening here, you see it in a completely different light. So you've got this vine that is actually more like the branch coming out of the ground. This would have been the the main vine for the grapes. It comes up out of the ground. And it could have been massive in size, depending upon how, how long it had been there. It was the way that nutrients from the soil made it to the grapes. Big vine going down this trellis or line of fence or wire, whatever they had there in the day, and there along the vine were branches, okay? You got to reverse your Texan thinking here, okay? Branch is vine in this story. Vine, branch, but the branches in the story are the vines, the little pieces that come off of the main vine. The Bible here calls branches, they come off of the main vine. The vine's role was to provide nutrients to the branches. The branches' role was to produce fruit. Sometimes the branches would just grow wherever they wanted, they'd shoot off over here, grow out into the air to nothing. Or they'd head on back down to the ground, or they would shoot off in their own direction, and the vine dresser would have the responsibility of coming back to dress the vine and the branches to make sure it was going to produce the most amount of fruit. So there were different roles here, and Jesus begins it by saying, I am the true vine. I am the source for life. I alone. Now, Jesus had just spent quite a bit of time with the disciples over the last couple of years. And he had been setting himself in contrast to the way that the Pharisees were saying life was. And Jesus was saying, I am the true vine. I am the source of life. Your way of life is not through trying to be religious. Your way of life is found in me. This is the vine's role to provide life for the branches. Jesus says, I am that life. And along the way, there's going to be a need for work by the vine dresser. The vine dresser is going to have to come along and do some work from time to time to make sure there's enough healthy fruit. So it's interesting that Jesus begins here with a sense of uh, position. If you really want to experience the life of God in you, you've got to understand where you're supposed to be. Jesus says, I am the one who provides life, you won't find it anywhere else. And the vine dresser, he is the one that is going to shape, correct, and direct your life. And you are the branches. If you don't get this order right, you can't have fruit produced in your life. So let's just, let's just zero this down just a little bit more. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the place that the nutrients come from. I am what is rooted in the soil. And the branches have no ability to provide life on their own. The branch can't provide its own nutrients. The branch can't provide its own water supply. The, the branch can't produce life. In the same way, Jesus says, I am the true vine. You cannot provide life for yourself. You need forgiveness. But you can't do that yourself. I know I hear people say, I just need to learn to forgive myself. How many people are you anyway? You know? You can't forgive you. You don't have the power to one. You don't have the authority to either you are not God. Only Jesus himself can provide forgiveness for you. So I know when people say, I just need to forgive myself, I know what they're really saying is, I really just need to for- receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ into my life. Yeah, that's, right. that's what they're saying. They, they may not know how to say that, but the wording's important. It really is, you know. You don't have the power to forgive yourself because you're not God for one, and you can't do that and say, Well, I'm okay now, I forgave myself. Really? No. Jesus alone provides forgiveness. He is the true vine. He alone can provide love. You can't love yourself enough to make yourself loving. You have to have a source. It has to come from somewhere, it has to come from Jesus Himself. You can't make yourself have hope for the future. You can't have enough positive mental attitude, enough good thoughts, enough karma saved up to make your life go well. You have to rely upon Jesus himself to provide you hope. He has to provide that to you through the vine. Amen. You can't bring peace to your life either. You, you can't... See, I studied architecture before I went into ministry, and I learned a lot of interesting stuff about architecture, but I learned a lot of weird stuff that people do with architecture. You know, like they would tell us to design buildings and, and landscape areas so that people could experience peace in their life. I learned about Oriental Gardens, that they were designed in such a way so that you could go to these gardens, and there you would experience great peace. And I remember going to some and thinking, that's a lot of rocks. You know? No offense against Oriental Gardens. They're beautiful. But they didn't cause me to walk away and say, Oh, all is well with my soul. It didn't happen. It doesn't work that way. You can't provide enough relaxing environment, enough cool colors on your walls at home. You can't provide enough likes on Facebook. You can't provide enough alcohol in the cupboard. You can't take enough medication to cause peace to come into your soul. Oh. You can only get to know the peace of God through Jesus Christ. That will settle you. Life has to come through the true vine. But the second part of the verse is essential. He says, and my father, he's he's the vine dresser. There's two of us at work here up to this point, Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine. All of life is in me. My father, he's the vine dresser. Now, Jesus would go on and say, and then there's one who's coming, the Spirit, and he has a role all of, him, all of his own. We'll get there. But he says, My father, he's, he's the vine dresser. He owns the vineyard, he's got plans for the vineyard. He, he, he planted the vine. He, he has the wisdom, the perspective, and the power to direct, correct, and shape the branches along the way. This is what the vine dresser does. What a fascinating metaphor, an interesting picture, and that if you want to experience fruit in your life, you've gotta put yourself in the right place to experience the fruit. You gotta be attached to the vine, and you have to be in a willing place of surrender to the vine dresser. God, if you need to change the path that I'm on right now, on. then I'm willing to let you do that. You're the vine dresser, I'm just a branch. Amen. Come on. I've got fruit, but that's only coming from you. Yeah. If you need to redirect me, yeah, come on. I'm here. Come on. Come on. The branch also says, if you need to remove some things from me, you can do that too. I may, I may have struck out on my path and thought, oh, this would be a fun way to go as a branch. People do that, right? They just, you look at them, all of a sudden you think, man, they're off in left field, right? There's another picture metaphor, right? They just chart it off. They're doing their thing. You think, hmm. That's when the vine dresser comes and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That vine, you need to come right back over. That branch, you need to come right back over here. This is where you're supposed to grow. I'm directing your path. If you'll trust me, I'll make your path straight. I'll place you where you need to, but you're gonna have to trust me. That's what's fascinating to me about this metaphor that Jesus gives. The way that it's a little different than a real vine and branches is that for us, he gives us the power to abide in the vine or not. And when you don't, there's some pruning that has to come along. When you've had some energy you've expensed all in one direction and he says, that's really not what I want for you. There's no fruit down that way. Cut. Prune. It all begins, however, by putting yourself in the right place because your position will determine your condition. If you put yourself in the right place for God to work, if you're willing to submit, if you're willing to obey, if you're willing to put your life on the altar, if you're willing to say, God, what you want, not what I want, if you're willing for him to adjust, correct, cut, remove, rebuke, encourage, exhort, then you'll find fruit in your life. But if you don't, you'll find yourself experiencing struggle. If you're the resistant one, if you're the stubborn one, if you're the freewheeling one, if you're the one that I got to do my own thing first one, then you're going to find yourself with some time going by. And all of a sudden you're going to realize, man, I've got a lot of stuff in my life, but I'm not sure any of it has led me to any greater place of peace than I had before, greater joy than I had before, greater love than I had before. Because your position will determine your condition. I want to talk to you today about some chairs. I've got some chairs on stage. And these chairs each represent chairs that we can sit in and miss out on being in the right position. Remember, your position determines your condition. If you're sitting in the chair of change, then you're putting yourself in the right position for God to do his greatest work in your life. But if you put yourself in any of these other chairs I'm going to talk about, you're going to find yourself far removed and trying to run your own life, trying to do your own thing, and you're going to find yourself in a sad place. The first chair I want to talk to you about is this little one right here. It's a little chair. Aren't you glad these aren't your dining room chairs? Aren't you glad this isn't your your living room chair? You come home from a hard day. Woo, I just need to have a seat. Wow. This is awkward right? You don't want to invite your family and friends over to sit in these seats, but this is a seat that a lot of people sit in. I'm going to call this chair today, the chair of defeat. Because a lot of people, scratch that, we all have had moments in our life in which we completely and utterly blew it. Amen? Everybody? Yeah, we have. And when that happens, you feel pretty small. You're at a place where you think, I just don't know that I could ever change. I've blown it too many times. I've messed up too many times. I've tried and it didn't work. I reached out, it turned out to be a bad thing. And people sit in the chair of defeat. And it's, it's a little space. It's really a chair of shame, regret, guilt. It's a chair of hopelessness. And it's a sad place to be because when you sit in this chair, you are ultimately saying, I don't think I can change. I don't think even God could change me you're putting yourself in a little chair, but you're putting yourself in a big position to say God can't even change me. That's right. The wonder of the gospel is that Jesus frees us from this chair. He wants to move us out of the chair of defeat so that we might live and walk in a chair that makes us more than conquerors where there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Where we're freed from this little, small, pathetic, guilt ridden, shameful, woe is me life that goes nowhere. There's no change that happens in the chair of defeat. It's not the only chair, though. There's another interesting chair here. It's a taller chair, unique seat. Some things about this seat, of course, it allows you a great amount of flexibility. You could sit this way. You could sit this way, and it's still the same seat. You can sit this way. You can kind of spin around. You can move all around on this chair, and it's still a chair. There's no arms, nothing to hold it back. You've got some great maneuverability. You're kind of elevated a little bit. This is the chair I call the chair of Deflection. Sometimes people get into the chair of deflection in their life. God starts speaking to them. God starts moving. God starts correcting and directing. And they're like, woo, missed it. Oh, no, not going to get me. Woo-hoo. Uh-uh. It's not my fault I'm going through this situation. It's their fault. It's deflection. I didn't cause my problems. They caused my problems. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be like I am today. It's all their fault. You see how deflection works here? Man, this is like, boom, just shooting off everything, every arrow, every truth that God brings at us, we just deflect it, and we just stay on our high seat here deflecting Everything away. God's working, God's speaking, God's wanting to change you. But if you're deflecting everything that comes your way, if you've got a better answer, if you've got the excuse, if you've got the blame, then you'll never change. Amen? Amen? Yeah. The chair of deflection. It's um it's a dangerous seat for a lot of reasons. People often get there because they've been through some kind of pain. They get there because they've been treated wrongly. And they they kind of harden their heart a bit. They pass off the blame instead of accepting responsibility. The book of Hebrews says that you should be very, very careful of this seat. Because if you get into this seat... It has the power to affect a lot of people. It's like, a, it's like a weed. And if it gets started, man, you better watch out. This weed will take over. Now, if you've traveled to Tennessee, Mississippi, I've told you this before, if you travel to either of those states, you would notice something as you went down the highway, some vines that just cover entire landscapes cover houses and trees. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating for the purpose of trying to make a point here. They literally go out and they just whoosh, just cover over barns. It's something called kudzu. Look that up some point. It is a vine that grows at an incredible amount of speed and will absolutely take over a, a hillside, a field, a house. Sitting in this seat, the book of Hebrews says, is like letting a root of bitterness spring up. When you become bitter because of what's happened to you and you start deflecting it all, you start blaming everybody else and you're bitter and blaming at the same time, you are allowing a poison to be emanated from your life that quickly other people, if they're not careful, will buy into it. And all of a sudden, the story, the gossip, the the rumor, the lie, the post on social media goes viral and your reputation is sunk. It's a dangerous chair to sit in the chair of deflection. The third one's an interesting chair. It looks like a, a nice chair. It is a nice chair. But there's something unique about this chair. It's comfortable for one. It's got armrests too. But here's what's unique about this chair. Watch this. Man, I'm up. I'm high right now. I am higher than anybody else that would be sitting on this stage. This is the chair of defiance. This is the chair that you sit in and you say, I am not going to change. I'm just not. It's their fault. I've wrestled with this. I've worked on it. I've talked about it. People have talked to me about it. And I've come to the conclusion, I am not going to change. This is the way I am. I'm not interested in changing. I am here to stay. It's a dangerous chair also. If you're sitting in this chair, you can't sit in the chair of change If you've made yourself elevated, if you have lifted yourself up over everybody else, if you all of a sudden know better, if you all of a sudden refuse to bow your knee and expect others to bow their knee to you, if you put yourself in this chair, you're in a very dangerous position. The Bible uses a couple of metaphors to help us understand this chair. It says that people who sit in the chair of defiance, they are like those who... Harden their heart They no longer feel compassion They no longer feel mercy They no longer feel love They have hardened their heart to the point That it just emanates anger And reaction And rebellion And refusal And so the minute God tries to speak into their life They are adamant It's not me It's them. I will not change. Another metaphor that the Bible uses for people who are prideful like this is that they are stiff-necked. They have bowed up. They have tightened up their neck muscles, and it makes you tighten your jaw muscles like this, too. Sound like Agent Maxwell Smart, right? (laughs) Right? Who knows what I'm talking about this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Teenagers, ask your parents. So when you, stiff, you become stiff-necked, then you refuse to turn and see anyone else in need. You have your way, and that's it. You will not bow. It's a dangerous place because the Bible says that those who are stiff-necked or hard-hearted, the Bible says there's one remedy for them says, they will be cut off, and that without remedy. It's a dangerous and frightful place to stiff neck, harden your heart, and say, I refuse to change. The only remedy is to be cut off. There's one more chair, however. uh, It's here on the end. You're probably wondering what it is. It's more like the kind of chair that you want to come home to at the end of the day. It's the kind of chair you sit in. And it's got a fair amount of padding in it, bottom and back. And you can just sit here. And it's like, ah, get myself some coffee. I'm gonna turn on the TV for a while. I'm going to check Facebook for a while. No, maybe I shouldn't do that. And here in this chair, you get comfortable to follow our D words, this chair is the chair of done. You say, you know what? I think I'm done. I'm good. I don't need God to change me. I'm kind of comfortable just where I am right now. I don't want to face any new challenges. I don't want to have any new direction come into my life. I got my stuff I do, I got my job, I got my family, I got my quiet spot, I got my things I do, I'm done. I don't need to be taught any new lessons, I've I've done that. I don't need to learn any new truths, I've done that. I don't need to be changed anymore, I've done that. It's a frightening seat also. It's a seat that a lot of people arrive at, however. Sometimes it's older people who get here. Sometimes it's younger people who think they've arrived that get here. But they get into this spot, and they think it's not necessary to spend more time praying, learning, reading the Bible, or changing their life, of correcting how they relate, of changing their life so that their marriage could look more like the gospel, of changing how they parent so they could truly raise up their children to be like arrows, to change how, how they think so that they could have the mind of Christ. It's a scary thing to get into the, the done chair. The book of Revelation says that there are some people who get there And they are, uh, they assume they are well-fed. They assume they are increased with goods. It says in Revelation 3.17. And there in that place, it says, what you do not know is that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. If you ever sit down in the dun chair you'll be deceived. You'll think you're good. You'll think you're fine when all the while you are the one who is in desperate need of change. You're the one who is stricken with spiritual poverty. You're the one who's stricken with arrogance and yet you think you're fine If you ever sit in the done chair, you are open to deception. They must all be avoided. There's only one place that we should all sit as disciples. And once we know the position, vine dresser, vine, branch, then you will willingly put yourself into a different seat a seat that is the chair of change the chair that says God I can't see all of my life I can't know everything I can't control it I've tried God I I recognize I am I'm not the source of life it's not me I've tried that too. And God, I realize that I need to be changed. So God, I sit in this chair and I say, Lord, you change me. I'll submit to you. I'll surrender to you. I'll put myself before you. Not above, but before, like presenting yourself. And God, I'll it sounds silly, really. I'll allow you to do what you want in my life. Right? We say those words, but you think about it. I, the center, the branch, will allow you, the vine dresser and the vine, to do what you want in my life. Really? You got that much control? Sadly, that's usually the case. We've had so much control that we have to say, God, I will allow you to do what you want in my life. How arrogant of us. The chair of change is a chair of humility. As we wrap up today, at the beginning of our series, let's, let's make some declarations some things we say okay God starting a new year I recognize I need to be changed change me here's what I'd like to declare myself and I'd love for us as a church to declare together let's look at these first one is this I will sit in the chair of change knowing that I am passionately loved by God God, this chair is a chair you have designed for me. It's not a chair of condemnation. It's not a chair of judgment. That was all set in by Jesus Christ for me. This is a chair where I'm passionately loved by God. So I'll sit here. The next one. I will sit in the chair of change knowing that God has a perspective of my life that I do not have. How foolish that we would think that we could know all things, that we could know what's best, that we could know what the next decision to make is. You can't know that. But our wise and loving God sees all, does. And so you come to the chair of change to say, God, you see and I trust you because you love me. Whatever you need to change, I'm willing. Our third declaration is this. I will sit in the chair of change knowing that God has a predetermined plan for me from before eternity. Look here. You are not here by accident. You are not here because of a choice your mom and dad made or happened upon without their choice. If you're here, you are here By God's sovereign plan you have been chosen from before eternity for this day for this moment and he has written the days of your life when as yet there were none the Psalms say he has planned every moment what has happened today and this week was not by chance or random coincidence it was all by the loving sovereign wise hand of God The next one. I will sit in the chair of change knowing that God's purpose is to shape me into the image of Jesus. Whoo! That the Father would say, I want to shape you. I want to prune, correct, direct your life so that you will learn to think like my Son. So that you will see life like my son does. So that you'll see me like my son does. So that you'll know the inheritance that's yours like my son does. So that you'll see eternity like my son does. So that you'll know intimacy with me like my son does. That's what God is shaping in your life. This is what he's doing. You may not recognize it, but he's doing it. And faith rests in that. Faith, says God, because of that, whatever you have for me, I'm here in the chair of change. Change me. Our last one is this. I will sit in the chair of change and willingly allow him To change whatever he wants. If he says, I want to remove something, you say, Okay, Lord. If he says, I want to redirect something, you say, Okay, Lord. If he says, I want to start something, you say, Okay, Lord. If he says, I want to end something, you say, Okay, Lord. If he wants to change your perspective on him, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm here to sit in the chair of change. Do whatever you must. I surrender. I give up. I trust. I obey. Shape me. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. You're a branch designed for fruit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father I thank you for taking us into some uh, new depths today for taking us into some places that perhaps we've not thought about before for having a passion and purpose and predestined plan to make us into the very image of your son Father today we're humbled by all of this, we're broken by all of this, we're ashamed because of our own refusal and resistance and the other chairs we've set in and the places we've made ourselves king and queen, but today we jump up out of those chairs, we run from where we've been and we come home to the chair of change And there we find you meeting us a long way off, running to us, ready to receive us, ready to celebrate, ready to begin the work of change. So Father, we surrender today. We submit today. Change us as your people individually and change us as a church that together, we might look like you, that together we might be the ones who make a difference to those who are still outside, to those who are still in need. We submit, we surrender today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing today? This is our moment of response to the Lord. Let it be a heart of Surrender and trust and love. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.